Today's reading is Romans 6, 1 through 11. It can be found on page 1041 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we, are, we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, we look towards these words and we look to them uh, to bring life, life giving words. Um, and we at City Life are committed to trusting your scripture and the preaching of your scripture to be a place where you have decided to work powerfully. And so we ask that you do that in this time. And we open ourselves up to your work. We may be opening ourselves up through our questions and our doubts that we bring into this place. We may be opening up ourselves up through just pondering the hurt and the wounds that we bring in this morning. We may be opening ourselves up by um, a certain amount of uh, maybe regret or guilt or heaviness that we have about things that have been going on in our hearts and in our lives. We may come with uh, gratitude and great faith and great recent experiences of your realness. Whatever we, we're coming with this morning, um, help us to increasingly be opening to, open to hearing your voice now um, through these words. Trusting your Holy Spirit, trusting you to be at work. That we're here because you have appointed this time for us to be here, to hear the things that will be said, and to hear them in the way we need to hear them. Because we sit here and we're all more of a mess than we care to admit, but your scriptures tell us we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. So may we be convinced of both things now, and may that transform our hearts, broken yet loved, through Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. My voice uh, was threatening to not be here today, but it came and showed up, so I have a little bit of a voice. Um, it's just from a cold, just, uh, you know, nothing crazy, no shouting. I just got a cold and suddenly decided to start to take my voice away. Um, and, then, and then last night, I was worried because we were at a family wedding and it got kind of really fun and wild and dancing and I was like, I hope I'm not like shouting and you know, singing at the top of my lungs. So I tried to hold back to save my voice for today, but that was a, it's fun when you get with family. 
for a wedding. Another fun thing that happened this week is, I think it was on Tuesday um, night, yeah, or no, Wednesday night maybe, yeah, Wednesday night, the preaching collective group got together. And I'm about to take six weeks of renewal and recharge. I'm going to be gone during July from my ministry duties at City Life. And so I thank you guys for supporting that and for the leadership team for supporting that. And as my wife and I disconnect for this time, um, you know, I'm excited because God has brought people along who are also preachers. And so as I, and there's tons of volunteers that make Sunday happen. So we're in a very good place for this. And we got together and I was really excited because this group of preachers who are going to be talking the next like five weeks and we're going to go through the same uh, book of Romans that, I'm, that I started last week. They're each going to be taking like the next chunk of it. it they were so engaged and so ready and um, I, I just think there's tons of enthusiasm in this group and so this is going to be a fun next five weeks. If you need, if you've been thinking, I need that, I need to do something, take my faith a little more seriously or my searching, this, we've got it for you, we've got the package right here. It's July at City Life, working through Romans chapter uh, 6 through 8. So what we did is we sat down, and there's like six of us, and, and we just first just read through chapters 6 through 8, just straight through and just listened to it together. Um, and, we, and we realized some cool things about it. And so we realized one of the things is what we're launching into today with this question in chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? We realize that it's the beginning of two long chapters really fitting underneath the same kind of one topic and one umbrella. And so it's kind of cool. And, and what I would say the heading of that, of that topic that we're entering into is basically making sense of sin in the life of a Christian. That's how I would put words to what's the next five, week, five six weeks. All these different angles spoken of in a different way, different kind of questions asked. But that's it. Making sense of sin in a Christian's life. Um, last week, we dealt with Romans chapter 5. As we come into Romans chapter 6 with this question, you know, what shall we do? Shall we sin so that grace may increase? What has just happened is, in Romans 5, it's been taught that God's grace in Jesus Christ is an answer to human sin. That we don't work our way to God, God works, comes to us and says, you can't work your way to me. So how, and then it goes into some technical things. However great Adam's transgression may have been, this idea of Adam and Eve, there's, and in Romans there's talk of the first, there's the first Adam, and Jesus is kind of like the second Adam, because all of humanity is reckoned in each case, okay? Some background, so... However great Adam's transgression may have been, and however greatly we transgress as Adam's children, God's grace in Christ was greater, abundantly greater. And so, follows up the question that we have here in chapter 1, verse 6. The question is basically, is God too gracious? Is, maybe, is God maybe too gracious? There's not a high enough entrance requirement into God's family? And if that's the case, is that going to create um, sort of a 
community that has a laissez-faire attitude about sin. Because, hey, you're forgiven, right? Does God really care? God doesn't really care. He's shown that. He's gracious. So that's the question. And we live in a cult. That's a good question for us. But we live in a culture that is very laissez-faire. And has really distanced, or we distance ourselves from feeling like stuff inside our heart and in our actions and in our minds that there's harmful stuff, there's stuff that we really don't want to have there and that we have to deal with and we have to figure something out with. We moved away from that and moved towards personal development and just growth without, without dealing with that. So is God too gracious? And is this just going to, this grace thing, is it just going to create a community of people laissez-faire about, you know, how they live? Like, last week we talked about the prodigal son story and how the, the young son who comes back from wasting all his inheritance and he comes back and he, he has a game plan, he repents, he confesses what he's done, but then his plan in his speech is to work his way back into the father's good graces as a hired servant. And the father doesn't even let him complete that part of the speech and puts the family ring on his finger. In other words, you're not going to work your way back into my good graces. It's going to be about my grace letting you in. So then the question of today's text, that's kind of what we talked about last week. Today's text is, what if a couple weeks later, the young son, after having that amazing party thrown in his honor that he didn't deserve, and all this kudos and all this love, what if a couple weeks later he goes, you know what? I should run away more often. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll go to the city every couple of weeks and live it up and come back and have a party at my dad throw a party. That's the question of today. Like, is, is that what will happen if you fully let God's grace kind of envelop you and you stop your religious effort and you just trust that God's made up the difference and drawn you in by his grace and that your religious effort's never going to get you there? If you really believe that, that's the gospel. If you really believe that, are you then just going to be like, hey, now it doesn't matter. And so then we read this. <clears throat> by no means... By no means. That's crazy. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The point is this. And he takes great care to walk through kind of logically with this. The writer of Romans. Becoming a Christian changes you spiritually. There's a change that happens in you on a spiritual level. Sin's power, the power of sin in your life, it was sort of the reigning power. And now it's been dealt a death blow. It's died a death. 
And that's a real thing that's happened in you if you're a Christian. Because, well, you say, well, how? Well, verse 5 and 6 make it clear. We have been united with him, Jesus, in his death. And then verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. You see what's, what's happening? It's like our, your story, because of Jesus, becomes inter, your story becomes intertwined with Jesus's. That's God's, that was God's plan by coming to us in Jesus Christ and going through suffering in the cross and the empty tomb. That you become a participant in his death and in his resurrection. And, and Paul, the writer of this, uses the thing every Christian knew in these early churches, and, and most of you probably know about as well, baptism. He uses that to say, okay, something you've probably all experienced who are getting this letter of Romans, he's writing from afar. You've experienced baptism. That's what baptism is all about. You go under the water, death. You come out of the water, new life. And that just is speaking to a reality that's true, something that's changed about you if you're a Christian. So the old self is dying inside of you. And then there's a new self that's growing. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. So grace is not just God deciding to look with a nice glance towards you. It's not just something that happens in God's mind somewhere that God decides to be happy instead of sad with you or happy instead of angry with you. Grace is a new, living, pulsating thing birthed inside of you. It's real. It's yours in each Christian. See, if, if grace is just God's opinion about me, then it's true. Then I might take advantage of it. Like the younger son, the idea of the younger son going off every two weeks to um, you know, screw up again. If God's grace is just his opinion about me, just something over there, how God has decided to look nicely on me, then it's, but it's not. I've actually participated in grace. There's a death that I'm a part of. There's a new life that I'm a part of. So it's ridiculous to say, oh, it seems like probably what you'll do is you'll just keep on sinning so that grace may increase. Like, no, how could that even be? That's kind of the, the way that this text is trying to explain things. I don't know if that makes a, a ton of sense, but something that, something that helped me make sense of this at one point was this quote from a book called The Manhood of the Master. It's an old book, like I think at least 150 years old. The Manhood of the Master, it's all about Jesus. So it says, only a stronger passion can, can evil, only by a stronger passion can evil passions be expelled. And a soul unoccupied by positive devotion is sure to be occupied with spiritual demons. He says, the safety of the master, talking about Jesus, the safety of the master in the presence of temptation lay in his complete and positive devotion to his mission. There was no unoccupied room in his soul where evil could find a home. And I love this quote. It's the expulsive power of a new affection. I don't use that word very often, expulsive. Something that comes in and pushes other things out. So the idea of something new growing inside you. 
And this is the analogy he uses, uh, still, still from the quote from Harry Emerson Fosdick. When Ulysses passed the Isle of the Sirens, he had himself tied to the mast and had his ears stopped with wax that he might not hear the sirens singing, a picture of many a man's pitiful attempts after a negative goodness. But when Orpheus passed the Isle of Sirens, he sat on the deck indifferent, for he too was a musician and could make melodies so much more beautiful than the sirens that their alluring songs were to him discords. He says, such was the master's life of positive goodness, so full, so glad, so triumphant that it conquered sin by surpassing it. Have you such a saving positiveness of loyal devotion in your life? There, and there's a sense in which um, the argument of this passage is to, to say, to picture a sinful, a sinning baptized person, a sinning baptized person should feel like an oxymoron. It should, it should trouble us because it should say that positive newness of grace that you have been participated in through Christ, it's not taking like it should be taking. And so the argument of this text really is not, um, hey, there might be this problem of people thinking sinning is not a big deal. And the argument is not, the argument is not, well, Work really hard and try to stop sinning or try to be a better person. Or work really hard because God might be mad at you. The argument is remember who you are. Or just be who you are. I, I heard a teacher once say to a student, uh, like a middle school, I think like a middle school student. So I overhear this conversation. The teacher says, are you really, are you really going to be that kid? <laughs> you ever have a teacher or a parent say that to you? It's a way of tapping into that. Be who, like, who are you? You know? And that, you know, that, what, you do, what you're doing there, that feels like, like that. But are you, are you that or are you that? You know? And who, who are you going to be? Who are you? I've known families um, where, uh, where you might say, well, of course she's an academic. You know, she's an O'Donnell, or whatever the name is, right? Of course, she, of course, PhD, again, in that family. Just who they are, a bunch of academics. Or, you know, does it make, does it make sense what's going on with that kid over there? Isn't he the Jenkins boy? <laughs> you know, maybe that's a little small town, right? But... But that, you know, that doesn't make sense. Did the apple fall really far from the tree? Isn't he the, isn't he the, you know, isn't that the Jenkins kid? They're such a nice family. They're, ever, they're so kind, pure, helpful, compassionate. I've even heard kind of the reverse. I've heard of families where the parents will say to the kid, remember, remember, you're a Thompson. You know, they're about to go off to, to an unsupervised event with their friends, their teenagers. Remember, remember who you are. You're a Thompson. You know, I've heard of that. Um, I don't know that I'm going to do that. With my, maybe I'll try that with my kids. I'll try anything. <laughs> but, um, you know, remember who you are. And then um, what's telling about these passages, there's, 
if you read this passage kind of like literally and on the face value, it, it's kind of like this thing where there shouldn't be sin in a Christian. Because you've died to sin, sin's reign has, has been killed off. So then you could sit there reading this and go like, uh, well, I'm Christian, but it ain't dead yet. You know, it seems alive and kicking. And so there's, and, that, and part of it is like, well, that's why this needed to be written to Christians. Um, to help you along the way on this, and that's why, this is what really speaks to me is, is verse 11. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's actually an active element, count yourself dead. There's something you're doing living into this, the realities that are true, the experiences, the participation in Christ that you've had. Live into it. Lean into it. Remember who you are. Be who you are. It's not just like, well, it's not taking. You know, there is an invitation to begin to imagine yourself, picture yourself, to like, you know, bring it into being through your own initiative. It's how to think about yourself. Martin Luther, the, the reformer, um, 500 years ago, one of the things he wrote or said, um, I've heard it repeated many times, he said a Christian, a Christian should wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I'm baptized. I'm baptized. Like this text is telling you, your baptism, it connects you. You participated in this death and this new life. And a Christian, eager to grow, puts reminders in their life of who they are. Habits in your life. You put them in your life. Community in your life. Some of you are active in small groups. We call them community pods. Some of you might want to be. It's time. Sign up. Put that in your life. Um, some of you proactively are trying every day to do that, to remember who you are. And so let me lean into this just a little bit about how this text maybe needs to, to push us in different ways. Do you in your life invite people, do you have spiritual friends who you have deputized um, to, to help you remember who you are? To remind you of who you are. Would you be offended if I or someone in your small group or someone at City Life Church gently asked you about an area of sin in your life? Uh-oh. That's uncomfortable. Yeah? And what about you being honest with someone else that you're in community with, in spiritual community with? Is it possible to be in a non-condescending way, in a truly I'm on your side way, to ask about an area of someone's life and inquire if they're remembering about their participation in Christ's death. Remembering that sin is killed off and remembering to count themselves as dead to sin. Is that, is that, that's uncomfortable as well. And I'm not encouraging a culture of sin hunting. I think if you've been around City Light Church, you would, um, you would, you would be hard-pressed to find uh, clues that that's what this community is. And so in a way, it's like maybe we need a little nudge uh, to be better at helping us remember who we are and that we're dead to sin. I, don't, I, don't, I know there's a lot of hurt around the idea of sin hunting and 
Um, I think some of the language out there is even like calling people out, you know, it's kind of the language. And there's a lot of harm and hurt, and so we're not going there. And yet it shouldn't be foreign to Christians and to Christian community that these conversations happen. I think that's where this text needs to match us. It shouldn't be a, a it never happens foreign thing to you if you're a Christian, because you've got nothing to worry about. You know, we need this. We need to remember who we are. And God's not judging us on our slip-ups. And so we kind of recommit and anchor ourselves back into grace. So in the safety of friendship, without condemnation or shame, um, always with the assumption that we all need reminding. Maybe there's some entering into this, uh, reminding us each other who we are. Bravely initiate, bravely receive. Humbly initiate, humbly receive. Mainly because grace is taking root and we want it to have all kinds of room to grow. And that's the point. It's all about grace. Let's pray. Our God of grace, may your grace be planting new seeds and saplings in our hearts and in our lives. And will you water them by your Holy Spirit? And will you uh, breathe new life and newness into this community? So that we can put old ways aside and find new motivation to love you with all our life, with our heart, our soul, and our mind, and everything we do. This is a miracle for it to happen in our lives and in the community, but it's the miracle that we are already participating in. So we thank you, and we ask that you continue to work it out each day. In Jesus' name, amen.